It's not because that was a higher risk on the loan. Mm -mm. It's because the lender knew they could get away with it. They were pushing the envelope. How much can I, can I sell to this person and make them pay more than they actually should? Welcome to Getting Money Right, a show dedicated to helping you achieve financial freedom through education and inspiration so that you can be free to pursue your true life's purpose. We are your hosts, David Thompson and Leo Sabo. And in today's episode, we are talking about car loans. That's right, auto loans. Uh, what happens when you go to purchase a vehicle? What are some of the national statistics? And really, we want to lean into some shady lending practices that mm -hmm. have been happening. Uh, also, some some decisions that have been made by car buyers based on a lack of education and maybe the wrong mental framework for thinking through a big purchase. Mm. Uh, the marketing today has changed the way that we view products and the way that we buy things and how much we pay for them based on how they're marketed to us. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. So first and foremost, we're going to pull a lot of great data from Consumer Reports. Now, Consumer Reports did a year-long investigation. They looked over 858,000 loans. So over 800,000 loans that they reviewed. This mm. is a lot of data. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. You know what investigative journalist at Consumer Reports had the time and energy to pour through this data, but they looked at eight, over 800,000 loans across 17 major auto loan lenders. Mm -hmm. So this is not just one company or one group that is lending. This is 17 major lenders. So this isn't even just the shadiest stuff on the street. These are major auto lenders, right? and they just wanted to get a basic overview of the car loan industry and how people are purchasing and what that looks like today. So we're going to pull heavily from some of the data in this report, but we're also going to share our personal opinions, uh, some really great rules of thumb for you when you make a vehicle purchase, what you should be thinking through, and the percentage guidelines uh, from a few different angles we're actually going to look at. So I'm excited about that. Leo, what are some of the things that Consumer Reports found in this investigation? Yeah, so when we came across this uh, uh, article, it was actually on a different website that pointed to the Consumer Reports study. And as I read through it, I got to be honest, I, I was a bit upset in one way and also baffled uh, hmm. in another way. So upset because I thought, gosh, with all the knowledge, information, and the data we have, and the low interest rates and everything that's going on, to see some of the abuse that happened that was found through this study uh, was appalling. The other one was, why are people, this is the question that kept coming to mind, David, why are people falling for this? Like, what is going on here? How can yeah, people yeah. purchase cars with, people with good credit purchase cars with high interest rates and have no clue when they walk away that they've just made a big mistake and not find out until months later when the payment is just you know, crushing them? So I was, I was a bit baffled and, of course, frustrated to see this happening. Uh, and it really made me think, you know, what can we do, even in our small in, uh, area of influence, to help at least our listeners to understand some of the basics that are just necessary? It also brought to mind something that I've been studying quite a bit and looking at. How do we impact the younger generation and help them to manage money better? Uh, I believe younger generation, Gen Z, Gen Y, are very interested in finances, but they're getting overwhelmed with bad information. 
and specifically done, we'll talk about this, where, where there's a certain amount of information that's offered and other information completely left out. And that makes them ill-equipped to make a good decision because mm-hmm. there's, there's, again, a lack of education. So here's some of the statistics uh, of, of this study. Uh, first, or actually an investigation, it wasn't really a study, it was an investigation. Uh, so they found that interest rates charged were as high as 25%. That's unbelievable. Yeah, it's unbelievable. Twenty five percent that even exists. Out yeah, there. even credit cards are less than that in some instances. Twenty five percent when the average loan was around four and a half percent. That's what the rate should have been. Yeah, I mean that's like industry wide statistically when you average the people who have great credit and the people who have bad credit, four point five percent is a good average right. car loan. And you can get lower and you can get higher. Sure. But the fact that someone out there and and this is across seventeen major auto lenders, this isn't just one person. The fact that some places were pushing loans to 20 and 25% interest yep. is staggering. Just hold on to that thought. Okay, yep. keep going, Leo. Yeah, another statistic was that they claimed that 46% of the 800,000 plus loans reviewed were underwater, which what this means is, um, and by the way, the owners were at least $3,700 uh, on average. Uh, underwater. Like, underwater, meaning that the, the car was worth $3,700 average less than what they owed on it, which means they couldn't walk away from the loan without owing 3700 or more. 46% yep. of these 800,000 loans. Yep, nearly so, half of them. So, so as you're driving, you're probably listening as you drive into work. I hope that you listen every morning when you drive into work to getting money right. <laughs> but as you're listening and on a jog or on a drive, look at every car that drives by you. of them, 46%, but yeah, half of them are upside down on their car loan. They owe more than it's worth. Just Mm -hmm. let that sit in your mind. Some of these stats are crazy. Okay, Leo, keep going. (laughs) So a major reason why Consumer Reports believes that dealers are lending in this way is because, frankly, they think that they can get away with it. Uh, That's what they're doing. They're just basically looking and saying, how much could we charge? And that's why you're seeing this. So there's a lot of abuses going on here. Um, the other thing, uh, the other thing that the study shows is that many borrowers don't know that they should or that they can negotiate the terms of the loan, uh, or even shop around for others, which is really remarkable when you think about the access to information we have today. I can pull up any car on multiple websites and find out what the average cost is if I buy it from a private party, whether I buy it from a dealer, or if I, you know, trade in my car. All of that I can find all that information, and yet. People are being taken advantage of. So it's really shocking to see that happening. And it's actually the reason why a lot of these 17 lenders either didn't respond or the ones that did respond, their response was, the consumer has access to all the information. All they have to do is look it up. So, yeah, they're yes, like, don't blame that us. Is, that's the true. consumer signed on the dotted line. It's the consumer's fault. Yeah. Hmm. So that's that's a cop-out, obviously, because there is such thing as responsibility in, in lending, and certainly they're yeah. abusing well, it. Let's stay on that for a second. Uh, this is... This is a really big deal. There's individual responsibility, which Leo and I believe highly in. You Absolutely. as an individual need to do the research. If you get a loan, if you get paperwork on a big deal, you need to read it. Mm-hmm. Now, on the flip side of that, if we saw that the average loan rate was around 4.5%, there will be people with bad credit that probably pay 10%. There will be people with great credit that probably pay 1%. That's okay. That's within normal lending practices. But when you start to go extreme and charge 15%, 20%, and, and it says it's not because it was a higher risk on the loan. Mm-mm. It's because the lender 
knew they could get away with it. They were pushing the envelope. How much can I can I sell to this person and make them pay more than they actually should? That is that's what's called usury. Mm-hmm. Usury is extreme or excessive interest on a debt or a loan, uh, and it's wrong. Um, now, it, it, this is very nuanced because if you let's say you hand craft, um, I don't know, pumpkins for uh, Thanksgiving and fall decorations. And you buy the pumpkin for a dollar, you handcraft it, you carve it, you sell it for $10. You're not wrong for marking it up nine bucks. You should make a profit on a product. This is not bad. You're adding a labor in. You're adding your labor in. These companies are taking a risk when they loan money. They should add a profit margin in. Of course. There's nothing wrong with that. But let's say that you're selling bread and milk and basic necessities and, and you realize okay, it only cost me a dollar to make this. I can earn a good living charging $2, have a 50% profit margin, everything is fine, but I'm going to go ahead and charge 10 bucks for each gallon of milk and for each loaf of bread. Okay, just because you can doesn't mean you should. The individual business owner does have an individual responsibility to look to serve people. Now, this is nuanced because in our capitalistic society, you're allowed to go as far as you want to make profit. And I lean towards allowing people to do that. But each person, each company should be looking around and saying, okay, how can we serve our clients and obviously, if you're a publicly owned company, you have to serve your shareholders. That's a, that, Those are your clients too. But man, there has to be a little give and take here. And what we're seeing here is the extremes of 15, 20, and 25%. It's just not appropriate. No, it's not. And, and the other thing that was interesting about the study or the, the investigation was that with a lot of these folks, there was a high probability of default. Uh, it was known when they actually mm-hmm. signed the, the loan, the lender knew that it wasn't matching the standards of what would be a safe loan their for the ability person. to pay they right, knew the because, person wasn't able to pay for this loan three months from now right because the standard is you know you're not supposed to spend more than i think fourteen uh, percent or something like that ten percent of your gross income mm-hmm. and these were fifteen percent or more sometimes as much as twenty five percent of your income right now you guys have, if you listen to us for a while you know that we suggest that your housing should be somewhere between twenty five and thirty and but that also includes your utilities includes all of your housing costs, not mm-hmm. just your rent, not just your mortgage, but everything. Yeah. So think of your car loan being that high. That's crazy. <laughs> it's, it's just unbelievable. You have to um, live in your car at that point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, obviously, uh, that would be. You know, hopefully, it's a nice car, but can't be that comfortable. Yeah. Uh, sleeping in your car. I don't care how how nice it is. <laughs> um, but here's the other statistic: the total auto loan debt held by Americans has increased dramatically over the last ten years. Not only has the increase uh, gone up 25% over, over the last decade, meaning a car that was worth, let's say, $10,000 10 years ago. Today, that car's worth 12500 So it's yeah. gone up 25%. Yeah, you might have bought a brand new car for twenty grand. Mm-hmm. Now you're paying twenty five grand. Right. It's so a 25% increase. You might have bought a, a used car for ten grand. That used car is going for about 12.5 now. So, you know, the, the cost of cars is going up some on inflation, some on added, you know, uh, technology and vehicles. Mm-hmm. But but consumers, Americans, keep paying more for cars. We're not demanding cheaper vehicles, mm-hmm. which we could. Instead, we're taking longer loans right. and buying more expensive cars. We're utilizing debt to buy more expensive cars instead of letting the pressure of the price cause us to say, no, we're not going to pay that price, and then slowly pushing the price down in vehicles. The yeah. price of vehicles is going up. 
Yeah, and when consumers allow this to happen to a certain degree, we have to take responsibility for that. But big time. At the same time, in that ten years since the twenty, you know, the increase of the twenty five percent from ten years ago, the debt, the loan debt, has gone from seven hundred billion to one point four trillion. So it's doubled in the last ten years. This is the total U.S. debt on cars. cars is yeah. one point five, one point four trillion dollars. Australia, the country of <laughs> Australia does not like all their goods and sales in a year. It's called gross domestic product. All the goods and sales that they sell for the whole country in the whole year, the GDP is less than $1.4 trillion. And we as a country have that much debt Just in our cars. Yeah. It's borderline hilarious and and absolutely tragic that the system we live in encourages us and allows us to be so in debt on something that goes down in value. Mm. Leo and I have both borrowed to purchase a home, but that goes up in value typically. Mm. Cars go down in value. The fact that our, our consumeristic mentality in the marketing in America has driven us to go this far in debt as a country mm. towards vehicles is pretty staggering. Yeah. And the the car payment now is nearly six hundred dollars a month. Again, another twenty five percent up from a decade ago. And th- what's really hard here is that as car prices go up, as monthly payments go up, as the loan is extended to make that happen, it's making more and more impossible for somebody to actually buy a vehicle uh, by saving and then buying it outright. So this is this is part of the problem. It's that you don't have the means to buy a car for cash unless you're buying something that's like 20 years old mm-hmm. um, our daughter and son-in-law recently purchased a minivan you know they've got a growing family and the minivan just makes sense at this point and they were looking at you know what minivan they could afford and they tried to buy something under 100,000 miles you know a couple of three different models that we were looking at and i honestly because i help them with this kind of i'm a car guy so this is something they asked me to help with and happy to do so and as I'm going through, I told them, I said, look, here's what's coming down to after the researches. You either buy a car that's at least 13 to 14 years old, that has just over 100, maybe 130 to 150,000, and you're going to pay around 10 to 12. Mm-hmm. Or you go under 100,000 and you're looking at about an 18 to $20,000 car. Mm-hmm. So the difference is six to $8,000. It's significant. And, you know, I, I don't know anyone that says, well, I think I'll spend an extra eight grand. No, when you go to purchase something, you have a specific dollar value in mind that you're thinking, okay, I'm going to buy a $10,000 car. I have enough to buy a $15,000 car, or I can afford hopefully a payment with a little bit of down payment, and and 15 is the max I go, otherwise the payment go, gets unhealthy. And that's where used cars have gone, and now new cars are almost... I just cannot... I can't I can't understand. This is maybe no. I'm just getting old, but I can't understand an $80,000 car like an SUV. I just don't understand that. Well, this is this is a big deal. We'll we'll go through the the numbers in a minute, like the actual percentages and guidelines. But according to Leo and I's estimates on your your vehicle being somewhere between 10 to 13% of your monthly income, and we're going to go a little bit high with these estimates. Let's assume you do 15% of your monthly income going towards all your transportation in your household. At $600 a month for a car, that is like somebody who earns statistically around $200,000 a year. 
this is I'm what I'm saying here is if you earn fifty thousand dollars a year, you probably shouldn't be paying more than hundred and fifty bucks a month on your car. Mm-hmm. If you earn a hundred thousand dollars a year, you could afford up to three hundred dollars a month on your car. By the time you're trying to pay six hundred bucks a month on a single vehicle, you should be earning two hundred grand a year. That's the that's the like debt has allowed us to spend as if we earn way more than we actually do. Right. That's and right. and I say it's allowed us. The truth is, it 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 lets you get the loan, but now the whole rest of your life, your finances are pinched. And we'll walk through the numbers in a minute. But I just want to put how crazy that is. If you've got a six hundred dollar car loan. I hope you have a two hundred thousand dollar a year income in your household. That's and, and we'll walk through the numbers. There's a nuance to this, but yeah. but that's crazy. <laughs> yeah, it absolutely is. And and here's the other part of it. You know, with most borrowers, uh, they pay their loan on time with no problem. Mm-hmm. Now that doesn't mean that the loan isn't difficult, and it doesn't mean that it's not impacting them on a financial basis. Meaning month to month, this is hard to make the payment. It probably is, but they're not defaulting. They're, mm-hmm. they're being responsible human beings and they're paying for their debt. But this is actually, to me, even much worse because they're sticking to something that's actually every single month hurting them financially for the long so term. Painful. And so, again, it might sound like we're trying to say never buy a car, never have a payment. Of course, the first one is not true. We all need transportation, a car you need to buy. What's interesting and what caught our attention with this investigation and some of the things we've been reading is the lack of education has caused people to fall into these things. The mm-hmm. fact that someone with good over 700 credit score can be talked into buying a car on car loans that's an interest rate that's 17 to 25% hmm. is clearly saying something's missing here. This person did not know. They didn't sign it willingly or knowingly. They were told something and they just bought it. Um, because they didn't have the information they needed. So one of the things we want to talk about going forward just for a few more minutes is the personal responsibility we have to understand when we get into a situation that requires making a financial decision. Cars are a big deal. Uh, one, when we buy them, it's not something we can change out all the time. Just like a house, you can't just flip and flip and flip because every time you make the transaction, there's costs involved. Same thing with a vehicle. So you want to buy something that you can over time average a lower cost so that it's affordable, it's within your budget. And so what we're trying to do is to educate people to understand what that number is by having a budget in place and being able to say, I know I can handle this specific payment. But we also have gone way beyond that in our education through this podcast, which is to say, when you buy something, it's always based on value. Mm-hmm. What, what that means is not just moral value or what I like. It, no, we're actually talking about dollars and cents. What is the value of this vehicle to you? And if you don't know the cost of it, you cannot know the value of it. And what we're seeing from this study and some of the other things that we've been reading is that people lack the ability to understand the actual cost. Uh, Unfortunately, because we've been, probably for the last 40 plus years now, been marketed in such a way that you can afford this in a low payment per month, that the actual value is not considered as much as it used to be. When I first bought my car, it wasn't about a car payment. How much is the car? How much is the cost? Don't tell me how much is per month. I want to know how much is it in value because I'm not going to overpay you. Right. So I took it upon myself to say, I know how much I can afford. And even if I choose to take it in payments, that doesn't mean I'm going to pay you twice of what it's worth. That's just foolish, in my opinion. Let's give an example here because like Leo said, let's say that you're going shopping at a car dealership and you look on the lot and that doesn't tell you the the dollar value of the car, $10,000. Mm. 
it tells you the monthly payment. Yeah. 300 bucks a month. Okay. You look at your budget. I can afford 300 bucks a month. Yep. I'm going to just going to go buy this car right now today without ever asking. This is a $10,000 car. Okay. Um, what happens is you go, you don't have the actual value. This is where you need to do your own research. Mm-hmm. You research the, the, the year, the make, the model, the mileage, uh, you plug it all into Kelly Blue Book uh, or Edmonds, and you you get the value of this car. You need to know the actual value because what happens if you just go off the three hundred bucks a month? You get into the financing. They mm-hmm. print out a piece of paper says, "Hey, all you gotta do is pay three hundred bucks a month." You look at your budget again. You're like, "Ah, oh, I listen to Getting Money Right. I spend on purpose. This three hundred dollars a month fits into my budget. Great." But what you don't realize that you've just signed is, let's say it's a 15% interest rate. And these aren't exact numbers, but let's say it's a 15% interest rate over six years. I mean, 300, and I'm making this up, but 300 bucks times 12 months is $3,600. That's right. And let's say that you did $3,600 over a five-year loan. That means 3,000 times five would be 15,000. 600 times five is 18. Okay. $18,000. that you've just agreed to pay for a vehicle that was worth $10,000. But it's because you only looked at 300 bucks a month times five years. And you didn't even look at that. You just said, I can afford 300 bucks a month. Mm -hmm. This is the difference. You need to know what the actual value is. And then you need to look at the loan terms and say, am I going to pay? Now, maybe, you know, I'm borrowing money. I probably will end up paying $11,000 for this $10,000 car. That's probably okay. I may spend $12,000 for this $10,000 car because of the loan and the borrowing money. That could be okay. You spent 18 grand, you spent an extra $8,000. Now here's what's funny. Almost immediately the car starts going down in value, but your loan doesn't, doesn't go down quickly. You have five years to pay off on this thing. So, you know, within a year, your car is worth, you know, eight grand but you still owe 17 grand on it. Like you're actually going backwards as you're making payments. That's what happens on a new car. On a new car, you go backwards immediately. And that's where you see 50% of cars being upside down to the tune of $4,000. It was like 3,600, but I'm rounding the numbers here. This is staggering. This is the kind of stuff that Leo and I just look at and we say, please, if you're listening to Getting Money Right uh, and you want to get money right, follow the rules of thumb and walk this out. So let's share some of those rules of thumb. Before I get there, (laughs) one of the writers and and investigators in this article, this is how she summed it up. Her name was Kathleen Engel. And just props to Kathleen here. She says, you're not helping somebody get a car if you know that the odds are they're going to lose that vehicle. That's right. And that's what happens when you go upside down in a car. Eventually, you can't make the payments. Eventually, you have to sell it at a loss. It's a major, major financial disaster in somebody's life. Mm -hmm. She said, that's not getting somebody a car. Because people will say, well, I just loaned him money. I helped him get a car. I helped him. I I was serving the customer. And they signed the deal. No, no, no. This is a direct quote. She said, that's taking their money. You are basically stealing. That's unethical because you know they can't afford the car at the rate that you've given them. You look at their, because they won't lend money unless they look at your budget to some extent. They look at your income. They look at your current debt loads. Mm -hmm. So they have a basic understanding of your finances. And if they choose to lend you money that they know you can't afford to pay back and eventually they're going to repossess the car, they're going to resell the car, make another profit on the car after they've bilked you out of, you know, four grand or whatever the money ends up being. Guys, Uh, Not every car dealer is like this, but the fact that there are some, 
should cause you to be very, not only there are some, but 50% of people have fallen into a place where they're behind yep. or upside down. It, like, it's a bigger problem than, oh, just right. one or bad, one or two bad dealers out there. Right. The reality is we live in a society where if somebody can get away with charging you twice what you should pay for something, it's maybe even looked on as a, well, you know, you're a smart capitalist. <laughs> um, and, right. and again, what David said earlier about the moral obligation that we all have, We'll all have to give an account for that, I guess. You know, if you mm -hmm. can sleep at night and do that, you know, I guess I, I, I couldn't. What's what's sad to me is that yes, this is happening. I don't agree with it. I think it's just despicable in my mind. But at the same time, I think what's happened with the individual person who has access to information, who has parents that should have been teaching them mm -hmm. more, or has friends that maybe car people or. You know, anyone, yeah. gosh, if somebody came up to me and said, hey, I'm thinking about buying a car, here's what I'm thinking, I would take the extra 15, 20 minutes yeah. to just do a quick Google search yeah. and, and give them a couple of pointers because I would not want that person to be taken advantage of. Yeah. So again, it's it's up to us individually to learn and to be educated and be mm -hmm. informed before we make a decision. This is why we exist here is to help you not only to understand the information, yeah. but to understand where it applies and how to use it. But it is yeah. important that we understand the value that we understand what it actually going to cost us, not just a monthly payment. Mm -hmm. And the only way that you and I can do that is to have a plan. We need to have a, a, a what we call a budget, so you can make an informed decision and keep you that keeps you from making a potentially bad financial decision right. that won't keep you financially safe. And then, as often as possible, try to lower the cost of what you're buying. In other words, get the value you need, but don't overpay for the value. Mm -hmm. Right. When my daughter and son-in-law bought this minivan, they could have, they had the means, they could have paid cash for it out of their savings account to buy a car that was newer, you know, nicer, whatever. But they said, no, we need a vehicle to transport our family. This is not going to be our forever car. There's mm -hmm. no such thing. And we don't want to pay $20,000 for this. We want, we have other goals. And so we only want to spend about 10. Mm -hmm. And they were able to find something under $10,000 that is the value that they need, which is to take them A to B and provide the, the, you know, the transportation their family needs. So my point is, you do have the ability to do that. So think about how can I pay cash or pay part of it cash so that in time you no longer have to deal with the loan industry that could potentially yeah. do this to you. Yeah, and we referenced capitalism a few times. Let me say this. Individual greed is the problem at mm -hmm. some of these companies. Absolutely. But let me tell you what the answer is. Capitalism. That's right. Capitalism is actually the answer because here's what will happen. As these companies are greedy and are overcharging people, mm -hmm. what it does is it allows a new competitors to come into the marketplace and have good business practices. Because yep. if you get burned by one of these major auto lenders where you end up upside down in the value of your vehicle, you're spending 15% on interest, it's absolutely ridiculous there's going to be whole industries of people that are creating small auto loans that are inexpensive and are based on true finances and, and they will earn a profit and these big expensive places will go away. So the competition of capitalism will solve this. But, but the other side of that is that the individual consumer has to go and get the information. And guess what? Capitalism solves that because here Leo and I are giving you this information quote unquote, for free on the Getting Money Right podcast. We're a part of the capitalist society. 
you have advertisers, you have the sale of financial courses. Mm -hmm. We benefit as we share information with you that help you make better decisions to avoid the greed of an auto lender that's unhealthy. That's part of the capitalistic society. So so when when we reference capitalism, it's actually the answer to this problem. But the most important, quickest answer in your life is for you to get educated. Don't yeah. wait for the whole system to get fixed by capitalism. You go after the answer in your own life. So let me give you a few recommendations. Now, this is a little complex because these are numbers and this is a podcast. I realize <laughs> that. So I'm going to try to go a little slow. But I think this is extremely helpful for you as you think through. First and foremost, this is a great rule of thumb. This is something that you should abide by in your life. The total value of all the motor vehicles in your household should be less than 50% of your annual income. So let's say you have a $100,000 annual income. 50% of that is 50,000. That means that you should not have more than $50,000 worth of vehicles in your household. And the reason is because vehicles, anything with a motor in it goes down in value over time. (laughs) And if you have that much of a percentage of your annual income tied up in things that go down in value, it's detrimental. So let me give you an example. Let's say that you have $100,000 of income. That means $50,000 of the max of vehicles. Let's say you need two cars. That's two $25,000 vehicles. Now, now 50% rule is the maximum. Mm-hmm. That is like the, you're right on the line. Like I like to be conservative and bring it down to the 40% or 30%. Ashley and I have always stayed under the 30% rule, not the 50% rule. Like, no, let's be conservative. Um, so, you know, Ashley and I, and this is just to give example of that it's doable. Ashley and I, when we first got married, we bought her a $5,000 vehicle and she drove it for four years. Meaning that you can buy a $5,000 vehicle and it will, it'll be okay. You're going to mm-hmm. live. Mm-hmm. Uh, a few years into our marriage, we bought a $9,000 vehicle for me because we had a little bit more margin. So we bought a $9,000 vehicle. I drove it for seven years. What I'm saying here is that you can, you can actually drive $5,000 cars, $9,000 cars. You can be just fine. Leo just gave a story of how his daughter and son-in-law bought a $10,000 car and they're doing great. The total value of our vehicles for that five to seven year period was like 14,000 bucks. That was below the 30% threshold. We didn't even come near the 50%. Right. Okay. So that's one rule of thumb. Don't have motor vehicles that are more than 50% of your annual income. Honestly, I say be conservative and go for 30%. Or less, um, yep. or less, right? Because you can. See, the, the reality is you can find good used vehicles that can keep you in that safe zone mm-hmm. and still have the value of having a good, reliable car. Yeah. Now, uh, the next thing that you want to be thinking of, this is really big, is your monthly cost of transportation. So you need to look at your budget. This is where we spend on purpose. And in our creating a budget tool, actually our spending on purpose tool really is what we're calling it now, is uh, an overview of what you should spend percentage-wise in different categories. Now, just a general rule, you should not be spending more than 15% of your monthly income on all of your transportation. Leo and I like to target 10 to 13%. Again, because we're conservative and we like to buy things a little cheaper, have more margin. Rule number three is increase your margin. So I'll give you some numbers. 
let's say you have a $4,000 monthly income. That's about 50,000 bucks a year of income. If you, if you have $4,000 a month, that means your total transportation should be $600 a month. Now that's total for mm-hmm. the whole household. Yep. Uh, let's say you spend 200 bucks in gas. Let's say you spend $100 in maintenance. That leaves you $300 left for actual car payments. Let's say you need two cars. Each of those cars can only be $150 a month car payment. That is about a $10,000 vehicle, maybe like a $9,000 vehicle, honestly, but it's about a $10,000 vehicle. That means if you have $50,000 a year of income, you could probably afford two $10,000 vehicles in your household. Now, let's run that against the other percentage. Two $10,000 vehicles is $20,000. That is less then the 50,000, that's less than half of your $50,000 income. It doesn't break the 50% rule. Right. You're okay here. Okay, I know there's a lot of numbers. I'm going to throw one more at you. That was $50,000 of income saying that you could have two car payments each at 150 bucks each. Well, let's say you have $100,000 of income. You double your income. Now you could afford a $300 a month payment on both of your vehicles. Let's say you have $150,000 a year income. Now you could afford $450 a month on your car payments. This is where I got to the fact that by the time you get to $200,000 a year of income, that's when you can actually safely afford $600 a month towards a vehicle. And what we saw, Leo, in this study is that the average spending per month on a vehicle is $600 a month Mm -hmm. on a new car loan. Um, It is absolutely staggering because I guarantee you the average income in America is not $200,000 a year. And just to, just to <laughs> clarify, because we want to make sure the numbers stay correct. So that's that would be for two vehicles. Two vehicles in a household. F- yeah, $40,000 vehicles. So it would be two $600 payments. Is that correct? Yes, two okay. $600 payments. Yeah, and so technically... So technically, it's 100000 For every 100000 you can afford up to $600 a month. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, and that's a $30,000 vehicle. This is where you can kind of think, okay, well, what can I buy for a $30,000 car today? Yeah. I mean, what are the cars that are, people are seeking today? SUVs? Maybe an, uh, a, a Tesla Model 3. None of those are no. 30000 No. They're not even close. No. Right? So you're going to buy a Mazda, a, you know, a smaller a Chevy, used SUV, Toyota. <laughs> something like that. So the $600 a month is just not going to get you a ton of vehicle. But that's why you see these loans that are $800, $900 or more that take up more than 50% of your income that yeah. put people in these kind of situations. And that's why the study showed 46% were underwater. That's right. And, uh, and I think that's probably a very accurate number across the board. And I know they only studied 158,000 loans, but my guess is if they would have expanded it, they would have found yeah. probably the same thing by and large. Now, um, again, I'll give you one more example just to show you that you can do this. For Ashley and I, and these are really close numbers, not exact. I didn't look at my budget right before I came over here. But we spend about $200 a month on gas, maybe a little more, maybe a little less, but about 200 bucks a month. We save about $100 a month towards maintenance because mm-hmm. we both have used vehicles. That's 300 bucks a month. And then we set aside $250 a month in cash to then pay for 
new vehicles, not new used vehicles yeah. Yeah, for, in the next cash, cars for our next car right. in cash. Right. So we don't have any car payments because we pay in cash, $200 in gas, hundred bucks in maintenance, uh, 250 bucks in, in our, um, savings every month to then set aside and buy new vehicles. That's a, that's still less than $600 a month. Yeah, you also have insurance in there and, and, and insurance and, and a couple, right. Yeah. yeah. So there's a few other things that are in here, but there's basically five things. You have gas, yeah. not including car payment, mm-hmm, gas, mm-hmm. insurance, tags and inspection. Yes. And then repairs. Uh, yes. and of course the car, car payment would make five. Right. So, and with our car insurance, um, let me just hit this off the top of my head. I think it's about a hundred bucks a month per for both vehicles. So, so now we're stepping into the six fifty range yeah. per Ours month. Ours is right around seven hundred, which yeah. which again includes about two hundred fifty dollar toward yeah. the next car payment. Right. So, so that's our total transportation cost per month. That would be in this example I used below in a conservative way, somebody living on about fifty or sixty thousand dollars a year. Mm-hmm. We earn more than fifty to sixty thousand dollars a year, and yet we still live like someone earning sixty thousand dollars a year. Right. All I'm saying by this example is that that even people who make more money yeah. than sixty thousand can still live conservatively. What that allows Ashley and I to do is it allows us to save extra into our retirement accounts. It also allows us a little bit of extra free spending money that we can go have great date nights and have mm-hmm. fun. And if we want to buy clothes, if we want to buy Starbucks, we have more entertainment money because we've kept our vehicle lifestyle lower. Now, our vehicles are both used vehicles, but they look nice. They're still clean. We still take good care of them. So we're not suffering, and at least not by my you know experience. Uh, <laughs> somebody else may be like, wow, I don't, I don't want to drive a five-year-old vehicle. Like... Guys, it's not that bad. Eventually, your vehicle is going to be five years. If you buy a new vehicle and get a five-year loan, eventually, it's going to be five years old anyway. So might as well buy it three years old and ride that down a little bit. <laughs> well, let me, let me give you a, a personal example here. Uh, a friend of mine called me the other, texted me the other day and said he found a vehicle that was going on sale. And it was the same year as the vehicle he owned. Uh, the only difference was this was a different model, and it only had like 9,000 miles on it. Wow. This was a 2003. I'll go ahead and say it was a Porsche 911. He has a Porsche uh, Boxster. So this is a 911, which is 911 is obviously a better Porsche, uh, a lot more expensive as well. But they wanted $42,000 for it. So he said, hey, I'm thinking about this. What do you think? And we've been talking about him wanting to buy a car every once in a while. And then he always doesn't because <laughs> he's a good steward. <laughs> right. and, and he just he sees that as, as, as a little too extravagant. So anyway, we go to look at this car. We go down to Dallas and look at this car, and he sits in it. He looks at it. You know, we talk to the to the salesman, all that. We get done. We leave. The next day, um, we we had breakfast. So I asked him. I said, "So where are you at with the car?" And he said, "Yeah, I decided I'm not going to buy it." I said, "Well, why?" He said, "You know, when I sat in it, I realized the interior is exactly the same as mine. Like oh, literally, it felt right. like I was sitting in my car." Yeah. <laughs> and he said, "The only difference is what people will see from the outside." Wow. From the inside, it's going to look the same way as I drive mine. Wow. And I thought, that's brilliant. I mean, mm-hmm. that's right there. That's brilliant. His perspective is not going to change. Other people's might, but this is where the rub is sometimes when it comes to cars, is that we care more about how people view us from the outside looking in rather than the way we portray ourselves looking out. And so, you know, David just said he's in a five-year-old car, and some people might think, oh, gosh, five years old, why would you drive such an old car? Mine is 20 years old. <laughs> I really don't care what people say about what I drive. I just, that's not how I make decisions. It's not that I don't care about people, but I just don't let that 
you know, their perspective on me, make decisions for how much money I spend on my vehicles. But my, my point for all of us that are, that are in this, and all of us are, we need to make decisions based on what's healthy for us. Mm-hmm. What we can afford, what's of good value, what makes us fulfilled. I don't want to drive in a car that, that I'm wondering if it's going to make it to work. Right. <laughs> but right. I also don't, don't need to drive in a car that everyone has to turn around and look at. I just, I don't need that in my life. And I'm certainly not going to pay the premium to have that kind of reaction from people. Right. Um, but again, this is something we all have to deal with. And our hope for you is that as you understand this information, you walk away with two things. One, become more educated. Mm-hmm. When it comes to this car decision, house buying decisions, these are the biggest expenses we make. We need to be educated. We need to understand. Or we need to just ask someone who knows. Don't be afraid to ask somebody as a car guy, hey, I'm thinking about buying a car. I would rather pay you know, you for a couple hours of your time to come with me mm-hmm. than for me to make a big, you know, big mistake. Mm-hmm. And people probably won't charge you for it. But, and, and honestly, car guys love to talk about cars. So mm-hmm. if you pull us into the equation, we'll probably spend more time on it than we should. But my point is, don't go in there without having the proper knowledge or the right support so that you're making the right decision. And then the second thing, make sure when you're making that decision, it's based on a plan. Make sure that you know what you can afford. Walk away from this month-to-month kind of uh, education. Right. What you can afford per month has nothing to do with the actual value, nine times out of ten. So take both of them into account. Consider how much is this going to cost me long-term. And yep. then then make sure it fits into that percentage of your budget. Uh, that's why we created uh, Getting Money Right, is to help you understand. There are some guidelines there that can help you. But overall, find ways to you know, hack life a little bit, you know, find Mm -hmm. ways that you can find life hacks that'll help you to get just as much value for a lot less and then use the rest of it for the things that really matter. Spending time with your family, investing in the things that you care about. Uh, And I think you'll you'll be much more fulfilled than driving a brand new car that's going to feel like a weight that you're dragging on for five, six, seven years. That's just a burden I do not want to carry and I don't want anybody to carry. So, right. Well, I hope that you're enjoying uh, this episode and that you will take a moment to go onto our Instagram, our Facebook, uh, to hit even on either Apple or Spotify or CastBox or Stitcher, wherever you're listening to this, hit the heart button or the like button, download two to three extra episodes to cue those up for your next jog or your next drive or as you're doing dishes in the house. Um, We are so grateful for you tuning in and listening. It helps us so much when you hit the like button or that you subscribe to the channel. It It lets the algorithm know that this is a valuable service and that means a lot to us. So thank you so much for doing it. Uh, Leo, where can people come hang out with you a little bit more? Well, they can come to leosavio.com. There's resources there. It says content. Uh, I do have some articles on buying a car, and, and actually we've done even some podcasts on that. So feel free to use that uh, information, gather that information, and hopefully it'll help you in the next car purchase. Um, but just, again, you can come to the website. There's a lot of uh, free resources there for your benefit. That's right. Well, we look forward to having you join us next time. So together, we We can can keep keep getting getting money money right. We need to make decisions based on what's healthy for us. Mm -hmm. What we can afford, what's of good value, what makes us fulfilled. I don't want to drive in a car that that I'm wondering if it's going to make it to work. Right. But right. I also don't, don't need to drive in a car that everyone 
has to turn around and look at. I just, I don't need that in my life. And I'm certainly not going to pay the premium to have that kind of reaction from people. Thank you.